Hi, I'm Melissa McHugh McGrath. Melissa is this amazing dog trainer, podcaster, and author in Somerville, Massachusetts. I train humans so their dogs are happy and well-behaved. And I'm Sip Sipperstein. Sip is a dragon veterinarian in Oakland, California. Yep, I'm a doctor for bearded dragons and bunnies and birds and other critters. And you have just landed in... Totally Possum. An animal podcast for adults. Each episode, Melissa and I will use our combined expertise to share amazing animal stories, give you an inside peek into our professions, go deep-ish into animals in the news, and maybe even reveal some tips that you'll be glad to know if you have pets at home. Really, it's a Zootopia party with fish orgies, and we're determined to have some fun. There will be swears. We're going to swear. Fucking yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> fucking yeah. Fucking <laughs> yeah. I like to try to say both fucking right and yeah. fuck yeah. And it came out as fucking yeah. <laughs> I kind of like fucking yeah. Maybe that'll fucking be yeah. our, um, our like buzzword. Fucking yeah. Fucking yeah. <laughs> I, I tried to be both Maine and hipster and it, it merged. been friends for quite some time. (laughs) We met at an animal hospital in like, what, 2005? When did you start at Wakefield? Um, Yes. And I started in 2003. So being a vet and at the time I was a receptionist um, moving into dog training. And so we became fast friends and she's my my daughter's auntie Sip. And when we talk, we nerd out about all things animal and Sometimes clients, sometimes weird cases, sometimes just the funniest things that we've seen around the internet regarding animals. We send each other gifts all the time of weird animals doing weird things. Reddit is a, well, it, it's a mixed bag. But the things that she sends me on Reddit are great. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, High, highly curated for animalness for and sure. hilariousness. And if, and if it's the sip curation of Reddit, I am happy to go down those rabbit holes and very little else. <laughs> um, but I will say that like being friends with somebody for so long and being able to do something like this, especially since we're across the country and having COVID restrictions and, and both of us trying to figure out how to pivot our jobs in, in very unusual ways because of COVID and other restrictions. Mm. Um, it seemed like a really good opportunity for us to like be able to have these conversations and invite you guys in on it too. And I think that this is going to be a lot of fun. And like I said, we do, I mean, this is definitely not intended to be for kids. Like I think most animal podcasts are targeted to either kids or family friendly. This one, we are going to be talking, talking about bifurcated penises and fish orgies and weird stuff that exploding bee penises and And we may not always watch our oh, language. Oh, we will not be and... watching our fucking language. So we we need to make no, sure that that no, is clear up here at the top. But we <laughs> we're just two friends having a good old time. One of us is stuck in the closet, <laughs> crammed next to our wedding dress. The other is still in her husband's drum studio <laughs> on the other side of the country. Yeah, which is basically like a recording studio. So it I kind of worked out really well for one of us. <laughs> So Melissa has her own kid-friendly podcast, which I recommend to adults as well. I mean, it is really 
like so much great information for adults, but it, you know, totally crafted as a kid's podcast. And so it's really for everybody. Yeah. So this is going to be Bewilder Beasts After Dark. <laughs> well, Bewilder Beasts. So her, her podcast is called Bewilder Beast, and it's amazing, and I can't miss it. But <laughs> Bewilder Beast After Dark, I like that. Um, but when she says in her opener, Coming to you from Coming the to smallest... You from the ti- uh, recording from the tiniest podcast studio outside of Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> I I just sort of like, yeah, sure, everyone's recording out of their, their closets. And then when Melissa and I got on a Zoom to start <laughs> recording this, and I saw how crumpled she is, like in practically in a fetal position. She can't sit all the way up. She can't like move. It is truly I am- these... I am suffering closet. for our art because I love you. <laughs> and I am um, luxuriating in this amazing <laughs> drum studio, recording studio, Don't because I stretch love you. like that and rub it in my face. <laughs> Look at all that movement you have with your head. <laughs> I'm getting poked in the ear by a combat boot. <laughs> So hopefully we are going to be able to just give you a sneak peek into the kind of fun that Melissa and I have all the time when we're talking. And uh, welcome to Totally Possum. Well, Melissa, today we're going to talk about a subject you're somewhat familiar with. But then I I went off down a rabbit hole um, that became another rabbit hole. We used to do a blog back in 2015 for the Car Talk website, we did it for about four years, about traveling with your pet by car. And one of the early subjects we came across in our research for this blog about traveling with your pet was about an organization called the Center for Pet Safety. And we found this story about this woman named Lindsay Walco, who had been driving with her dog, Maggie, and a car pulled out in front of her and cut her off and she was in an accident or rather hit her brakes and in hitting the brakes although she had what she thought was safety equipment uh to keep her dog safely in the in the back seat i remember it was a harness right she had just had like a regular harness uh, that was marketed as a, a safety harness for plugging into the car correct correct okay and she in this near accident Um, Her dog was actually quite injured. And what she described was that not only did the harness fail, but it like wrapped around the dog's back legs. The dog was screaming. Maggie was, you know, in a lot of pain. Um, And it sort of made her wonder, like, what's the story? So this was what they call a harness tether. So it wrapped around her back legs and she was thrown and hit the um, back of the front seat. Um, so do- her dog, Maggie, was in the back seat, hit the back of the front seat. So basically this harness that was supposed to be a safety equipment failed. And so she wondered, well, what's the story here? It says it's supposed to be a piece of safety equipment. Did this just one piece of equipment fail? She discovered that um, that the Consumer Product Safety Commission doesn't consider pet products, quote, consumer products. And they did not regulate this whole area. So she basically was on a mission. As you'll recall, she started looking for how she could possibly, you know, get any information about testing harnesses and other safety equipment. And 
basically bought 12 different harnesses from the pet store that were labeled as safety equipment for dogs. And one of these crash test facilities actually set up not far from her um, around that time. And so she started working with these folks who were open to working with her, testing some of this equipment. And I will quote from her website, because they videotape all these crash tests, and they're like the ones they use on people, uh, you know, yeah, nail it's crushes, like these, dummies. Yeah, it's like these these warehouses. You've seen them if you've done any work with crash test dummies. We've also been watching a lot of Mythbusters, so we see a lot of crash testing in action. And it's basically a, a room, lots of white walls, a car or a sled that looks like a car seat. And if it's people, you have a crash test dummy and you basically fl- <laughs> tether them into this seat and you fling them at a concrete wall as fast as the car can go and see, does this work? Um, but they're now doing this with dogs and and, and the dog equipment um, at this facility, right? Exactly. Cool. So she managed to find like-minded people who would be willing to do the work. Of course, it costs something. So then trying to find funding. But she, they videotape, and as you say, these sleds. So basically, it's like car seats attached to um, a big piece of equipment um, that replicates a crash. And they may be front crashes or side crashes. Um, and apparently, a lot of the damage is in head-on crashes, um, although can come from any type of crashes, anyone would guess. But she puts, we watched the video in horror. The next <laughs> harness is to be tested broke at the connection point and our test dog went flying and then so on. So she talks about all these different ways this so-called safety equipment was failing. Um, But of course, it was an unregulated field. These companies could say that they were, you know, safety equipment, but they weren't really tested. And this just led to her starting the Center for Pet Safety, a nonprofit research and consumer advocacy organization that they founded in 2011. And she has continued to do this work as a labor of love. And, you know, she doesn't make any money doing it. And finding other like-minded people in various fields to help her uh, test this equipment. And her, her goal now is not to shame these companies, but to try to work with them to look at their equipment, see it in action, and then redesign it. But I mean, yeah, I mean, like, especially given that it's marketed as safety equipment. It is leading a consumer to assume that the equipment that they're purchasing is going to keep their pet safe. And when it's not, if, they're, if their uh, test is throwing a piece of lettuce at it <laughs> and saying, yeah. I yeah. tested it, it, it's safe in our testing, they can yeah. sell that as safety equipment. And that's really disappointing and, and incredibly heartbreaking if your pet were to die in an accident or be seriously hurt. So this brings us to Back in 2015, you and when you and I were working on our blog, was watching videos on oh the God. website of the Center for Pet Safety. And if you recall, I I said something to you like my hand went in front of my <laughs> face and stayed there while I watched video after video. The thing that made it so real was that these tests, like the, I mean, first like their names were like distraction prevention harness catastrophic failure <laughs> take right. four and then you're watching this this dummy and i'm i'm laughing because it's just like otherwise i'd be sobbing um it, this dummy dog when you see like the people crash test dummies they have like a line down the side almost like a grid but 
they didn't do that with the dogs. They made them look like a real golden retriever or a real dachshund or the dog that you would maybe see in your neighborhood, a doodle. Um, and, and that they looked so realistic. And yes, they were definitely toys. So they were stiff. So when they when they would fly through a crate, um, you would just see like this slow motion flying dog going and it would hit the concrete wall. It was actually really sad and, and terrifying. But because it was a cute, fluffy dog, it, it both made it more impactful watching these videos, which is why our hands were in our faces in horror. But also kind of funny because they weren't moving like real animals so there was like a degree removed from actually watching real animals fly through the air and realizing how bad this is going to be well i thought this is part of what was really interesting were the steps that led to what we saw in the videos and so i actually asked lindsay walco the woman who started the center for pet safety if I could get in touch with some of the people who helped her develop these crash test dogs, and there's even a crash test cat. And oh, they have a cat now. Apparently <gasps> there's a cat. And I think if we go back on the website, we might be able to see the cat. They... But Lindsay mentioned the cat. My hope is that they crash test it nine times and then take it out of commission. <laughs> <laughs> so, so to go back, the original crash test dog models looked what I started to refer to as suppositories, but, you know, <laughs> they didn't, they just were like black leather or fabric or something that um, didn't look like much, but did the job of demonstrating what might happen with a dog because they were weighted like a dog. They weren't just a plush toy. They were made to be the weight of that size dog. So mm -hmm. basically three different size dogs to replicate many of our pet dogs and and this would show the the damage and the destruction or the failure or the safety of such equipment but it doesn't have any emotional connection to it it's just a data point right exactly okay and the the very first version um apparently just didn't work it like just fell apart so they had to look at how do you make a crash test dog that more replicates what will really happen and hold together um, in, in most tests. And so they went through some versions and the goal ultimately is to be able to do what real crash test dummies do, which is look at velocity, physical damage to, you know, what might happen to your innards and so forth, right? But it's very expensive. It can cost millions of dollars to develop these things. And so they're in somewhere in version, I think, two or three right now. And their version five would have the accelerometer looking at the impact from three dimensions and all this. But at least in the early cases, they could see based on weighting the um, models correctly, um, center of gravity and so forth, whether the equipment failed. But they also wanted people to see these videos, right? A little more like we saw them, mm -hmm. which is, oh, it looks like a dog. It has a color, it looks fluffy, but they also needed these models to hold up to damage. So first, you know, one of the people I talked to was this fellow um, named Richard Durer, and I may not be saying his name perfectly. And Richard, works for a company called Adiant, which actually works with developing um, seating concepts for original equipment manufacturers. So 
car equipment and truck equipment. And so that was really his area, you know, by day working for the company, by night advocating <laughs> for pets, by looking at how equipment's really used by people. And they, um, I thought this was cool, Melissa, they set up clinics with the employees of, of their company to look how people actually drive with their pets. Because he said, oh, people will say, I drive with my pet this way, but then they'd go out in cars and trucks with them and see how they were really driving with their pets. Oh, yeah, I put oh. my dog in the back. Oh, but what do you think happens once you put your he dog in the back seat? The and then he jumps into the front. He jumps in the front and he sits in the front seat and he sticks his head out the window. Right. All right. of so, the things that make us cry <laughs> a little as, as pet professionals <laughs> right so they did these clinics with the employees of the company he works for to see how people really travel with their pets and then use that information to better understand where the dangers are in traveling with your pet as well as developing safety equipment and then he also helped in one of the stages of redesign of the crash test dog because those original versions weren't really working. So he used a lot of his experience. He also does 3D printing and he was able to use his expertise in his downtime, again, as a labor of love, to help Lindsay um, in developing the crash test dog. Lindsay found this woman named Heidi Bartruff. Lindsay really wanted these dogs to have some emotional connection, as we were saying, look like dogs and not like suppositories. And <laughs> it's hard to get emotionally into a suppository unless with legs. Yeah. That's the thing you're into. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Heidi has worked over the years um, creating like the outer skins of um, creatures on Disney rides and Chuck E. Cheese animatronics. And so she she had this background of making coverings for things. The animal skin lady. Right. Yeah. The animal skin lady, as I started calling her. And she also would make these plush toys for people who say their pet died and they wanted to have a representation. And so she created actually these hyper-realistic plush toys. Well, the problem was that she made apparently the first versions of these hyper-realistic coverings for the crash test dummy so hyper-realistic that some people actually objected to it. They looked too much like they were testing on real animals. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so she actually had to dial it back for the next iteration Can of coverings for the crash test. Disney fi this just a little. Can you like <laughs> Made them just a little more flesh toy y than oh, they, no. the original form. But she also told me some other really interesting things because the um, the design of these crash test animals, you know, again, weighted appropriately for the size animal um, and distribution of weight. But they had arms and legs that would move somewhat, and and so she, they would she would have you know she would discover that like the covering would fail because the stitching would get just get torn out by the movement of the arms or legs. Oh my. And and so she had to come up with this special thread and triple stitching to make sure that the skin stayed 
to make sure that the skin stayed on. And then one of the most, I mean, sick but hilarious things was that oh on, on one of the tests, the eyes popped out. On oh, my God. So she had to find a way to actually glue the inside back of the shank and washer of the eyes so that they didn't pop out. Oh, my God. <laughs> Testing. I'm- I'm just really regretting my decision to listen to my favorite murder 20 minutes before recording this episode. (laughs) There is a fine line between making these animal skins to like help people and Ed Gein. (laughs) And getting a little creepy and gross. But of course the point was to create a covering that people could relate to but wasn't so close to real that you think they're actually testing on real animals right but that there are people with real these areas of expertise who all just donated their time and uh hours of work to try to help Lindsay make a point about safety equipment and to me it also spoke to how resilient living bodies are to injury as well although that shouldn't obviously animals get really injured in real live crashes but that these people had to work and work at designing something that could hold up as well as a living body that's incredible i mean just like the structure and the the fabric and like you were saying even the thread had to be considered just to like make something that was safe instead of using like animals that either didn't look quite right, weren't weighted correctly, or in Mythbusters, they'll take like a pig carcass and they'll use that as as a stand-in for certain activities, I guess, in explosions to see how shrapnel might affect something else. Like they, they could have gone that route too. And that actually I think would have been more upsetting in many ways and probably grosser to clean up um possibly messier yes a lot more mops required (laughs) so many mops lots of salmonella testing but i think in general like just the the effort and the resources and the time and the commitment from all of these people just to try to make this point that hey like we want our animals to be safe and it's up to the companies to step up i think that's amazing and what's really cool is that Lindsay has you know stuck with this so really things got started you know in terms of testing in earnest around 2011 in 2013 and 2015 they actually had crash tests that they could kind of document and and make statements about but that she's actually reached the point where her organization which is a nonprofit, is accepted by Uh, Consumer Federation of America as the only organization representing pet owners in pet products. Well done. And so there is now a certification tag that these companies can get on their products. And they're branching out into other products, chew toys and other um, pet toys, ingestible products, foods. They're planning to branch out into these areas um, and already doing some early testing but really they started with car, you know, automotive safety. And 
um, going back to some of the videos we watched um, mm-hmm. and people, we will put um, links um, at the end of the pod for people to look for themselves. We can even put the old car talk one that we did that had just like two mm-hmm. or three in case people didn't want to like go through a bunch of them because they are really like you, you kind of do need a bit of a stomach of steel to watch some of these, even knowing that these are dummy dogs. And so we ended up picking three of the least bad ones to put on the car talk page. Um but also really make the point yeah. of how how harnesses and crates can fail. And these harnesses can yeah. snap, never restrain the animal at all, as well as um, crates that literally shatter. They like shattered. Dog they crates crushed that explode. The, the dog that went through the soft crate was absolutely fascinating to me. And I think, like, wasn't it 30 they tested in that first... Those ones that we watched, I there was like 30 or something products that they tested, uh, ranging from crates to harnesses. And of those, I think there were only uh, only the Clicket Sport seatbelt had passed the test for small dogs. And for large dogs, time. only like three kennels, three crates passed. It was absolutely that was 2015. And has there been any improvement since then? Yes. So there are more companies whose products are listed on the website as awesome. having come in on their, you know, of their own volition to work with the Center for Pet Safety to have their product tested and then certified. And and my understanding, if I if I recall correctly, talking to Lindsay, is some of those companies saw some weaknesses in their product and went back and made improvements. But there are more companies now listed on the Center for Pet Safety website that have managed to pass um, certification, which is really exciting. And so, you know, when you look at some of these crates in a still form, whether that's a hard-sided or a soft-sided carrier, Mm -hmm. and then see them fail these tests spectacularly, it really brings home how you can't just look at something and say, that'll work or that'll be safe. Or if I'm in an accident, my pet will be safe. Right. That just like with human seatbelts and other safety equipment in cars, you don't know until it's tested. I I think it's important to stress that when we travel with our dogs, it's better to have them either crated or harnessed almost immediately after you and I had written this thing. I think I went out that day to go purchase a harness for Captain. (laughs) And then we went, this was in the before time, so there is travel. There are lots of people in this story, (laughs) which might be triggering to some people. But my daughter had gone up with her grandparents to visit Maine, and we said we'd follow them a day or two later with the dog because I still had some work. Follow behind a couple days later with Captain, and he doesn't make a sound. I've got him in his harness. He's in the seatbelt. Everything's going great. And then we realize he's being really quiet. And we get from Massachusetts to the rest stop in Maine. So we've been traveling for about 90 minutes. We're going to stop, let him pee. And I turn around into the back seat, and I see he had done the patented dog spin around three times thing, but he was tethered. And his his like front leg had gotten stuck in the seatbelt up by his chin and he was mushed into the side the back behind uh the back seat um that he was laying against he didn't complain one bit he looked like a pretzel and he had (laughs) been like that for at least 85 of those 90 minutes didn't make a peep (laughs) 
that poor, poor dog. <laughs> well, you bring up two major points, which is safety equipment for pets is safety equipment for people. Because anybody yes. in the car uh, could be badly injured by a pet who's not properly restrained. Correct. And can, can be a distraction or that pet could go flying and and hit you in the back of the head, mm-hmm. which happened to me many years ago. And you can be a danger to other people on the road by yes. through that distraction. Or if something happens, you hit your brakes, your dog hits you. Now you could be dangerous to other people on the road. But also that we're ultimately responsible for monitoring that safety equipment because it's yeah. not click and go if we're not paying attention to what's right. going on, that pet could, you know, chew through the equipment, could get wrapped up in it, whatever, that ultimately we still have a responsibility to check that yes. that equipment still appears safe, that it's not damaged, and that the pet using it in that moment is Is, is comfortable safe. and yeah. not a pretzel. <laughs> not a pretzel in the back seat. It's so important because, like, it's so easy just to be like, okay, I got this thing, now use it, and just go on a road trip and not even think to take it for a couple of test drives or a couple. Like, it's really, really, really important because what what might work for me and my dog might not work for somebody else and theirs, right? Like, uh, like if you got one of those giant gunner kennels but you have a Honda Fit, it's not going to work. Right. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> like, or if you have like a little, little dog and you're trying to buckle them into this seatbelt, like, well, maybe that dog like has too much tether and that's going to, to do even more damage in an accident. So it's really important to not assume and verify and really try some things out to see what's going to work and, and do so before you, <laughs> you go on a multi-state and trip. And at least as of our recording, there are nine um, pieces of safety equipment that that the Center for Pet Safety has listed as meeting their their stringent requirements for safety that no doubt will grow, particularly as uh, companies who are making the safety equipment are willing to have their products tested. And here's a teaser. Lindsay has turned me on Ooh. to some other topics that I think we should visit in the future. Sit back, and I'm going to tell you a story about possums. <laughs> We're going to talk Uh-oh. about the perennial play dead champion of the world and our logo, the possum. But what I didn't realize is that the opossum and possums are not necessarily the same creature. So here in the U.S., they're considered to be the same creature. But if you were to look at the differences yeah. between the American possum and the Australian brush tail possum... You'll see they're very different. And in Australia, the possum looks like a super cute, like, little eye-eye squirrel fuzzy, and it's hella cute, right? It's it's big. I don't know. It looks like a pocket pet that somebody would create um, to, to, like, market to small children. (laughs) It's a plush toy. It is a plush toy. It's a walking, talking plush toy. It's so cute. The Virginia possum, North America's only marsupial, for some reason makes people squeamish. But honestly, I think I can speak for both of us when I say possums, well, maybe not nature's cutest critter. And for some people, the stuff of nightmares with their sharp 
faces and open mouths for hissing. They don't <laughs> get a fair shake. But like I've seen these pictures and I'm sure you have to sip with the where yeah. like in the middle of the night, like somebody comes around the corner and it's going like and it's like <laughs> it looks like yeah. something like ah! <laughs> Yeah, like Tim Burton would have like had a wet dream over. <laughs> so anyway, they eat ticks. And just for that, I think everyone should make their backyards into possum sanctuaries. Come to New England, eat all the ticks, please. And because they're marsupial, their body temperature is different. So it's not exactly a great host for rabies. So they very rarely get rabies and they eat ticks. I want 100,000 of them. But (laughs) I feel like if you've been on Facebook at all, there are these like pro-possum stories and yet... The real reason all the pro-possum pop- propaganda leaves out that lady possums have two, two vaginal tracts and two uteri. And I'm so sorry for how any sleeping problems you have tonight. But males also have a weird feature, a bifurcated penis. It's split into two forks. <laughs> Because yeah, and we see that with some other um, marsupials as well. There are other animals that have that that weird design, but it is super really? cool. I, you know, I thought they were yeah. visually terrifying enough as it was um, that they have like this forked peen, and like while this isn't, I guess, unusual to marsupials, it's a feature, not a bug, <laughs> but. <laughs> what is this? And they made it like this assumption upon seeing that wacky possum D that the only reason for this and the only rational reason for this is that they must sex those lady possums through their noses. (laughs) (laughs) I did not ever see that. That's hilarious. And I was just like, and we made this our logo. (laughs) I know this is our first episode. I know... Like that this is um, we're still going to be ironing out some bugs. But like one idea that we were playing with was like to make this segment into like funny animal news or something that came across our radar. And of course, with possums, I found not one but two, (laughs) two little news articles. The first was um, I actually heard this one on another podcast called Dumb People Town, where these three comedians... um, They listen to the police blotter and they just go to town on it. And nobody ever really, nobody (laughs) dies and they don't usually talk about things that are cruel to animals. And I think this is probably the closest. Um, So Waukesha, Wisconsin, a Wisconsin woman had five pounds of possum in her headlights on Monday. According to witnesses in a police report, the woman performed a spiritual ritual on a dead opossum in the road then pulled out a Green Bay Packers lawn chair from her vehicle and urged the animal to repent. (laughs) The woman... What? (laughs) According to witnesses, because there were witnesses, the woman got out of her vehicle, opened the passenger door, threw goldfish and windshield wiper fluid on the dead possum, said the newspaper. The second person said the woman took out a lawn chair and just started screaming repent at the dead animal. (laughs) Clearly, the animal was the one with the right? problem. Um, so the police log did assure us that the animal was not playing possum, and it was removed from the highway. Um, so that one was just a shorty. But the uh, 
the one that made me giggle that I really just, I have to, you know, I'm going to screen share this one with you. Sneaky wild possum tricks nice grandma into taking care of him. And this is from the Dodo. As an animal lover, Eric Hentline's grandmother naturally has a soft spot for the handful of stray cats who live around her home in Kansas. <laughs> so much so. I had a feeling this is where this was going. Of course, where it's going. So much so that she set aside a cozy place for them with beds and food in her enclosed porch. Occasionally, she even invites them inside of the house. Little did she know, however, that one of the kitties she's been caring for over the past few months is not a cat at all. I'm going to this photo, which we're going to have to have a blog or social presence of some sort. But if you go, there it is in the corner in the little basket. <laughs> this picture is awesome. So there's there's two there there are three quote unquote cats in the picture, <laughs> and and a, a little table with a, a a potted pot with some succulents. It looks like I think growing it's a chia it. pet. And 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 one of the cats one of the cats is on a rug, and the other two cats are in little cat beds. Only one of them is a calico, and the other one is plainly an opossum. <laughs> <laughs> All curled up and happy oh, as a clam. Oh, she's thrilled. The cats are so cat about this. They're just <laughs> perpetually pissed. Just don't make eye contact with that ugly thing. That is the ugliest cat I've ever seen. And look, there's a closer-up picture of it. Um, so recently, Eric, the grandson, decided to stop by Grandma's house for a visit. And as he walked in, she was there to greet him along with a typical array of strays who are found lounging there. But then his eyes landed upon something unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> Alarmed and confused, Eric assumed the wild imposter had just snuck in. His grandma, seemingly surprised at the reaction, was sweetly tied, uh, sweetly tried to calm Eric's nerves that, quote, kitty in the corner had been coming around for a while and she named him Tet. <laughs> I told her she wasn't what he thought it was and now grandma's very confused. I laughed for a good five minutes. She didn't realize what I was laughing at until I started pointing at the pointy nose and skinny tail. She didn't realize that he wasn't a cat. <laughs> and and then Eric took grandma to the ophthalmologist <laughs> for an eye test and the optometrist for a new set oh of glasses. Oh, my God. So she got closer and looked upon him with the biggest oh grin gosh. and said, well, he hasn't bothered me yet, so I guess I'm okay with him just being here. <laughs> he looks very well behaved. He's just all curled up in his little He's cat so bed. pleased. And so, like, the possum now just kind of <laughs> lives with these cats. In, in the grandma's house and it's the sweetest sweetest little story <laughs> i mean except for maybe the cats might have a different awesome. perspective but those were hey she probably doesn't have a tick she problem. did not have a tick problem oh my gosh she she doesn't need to worry about it at all she misses her <laughs> flea and tick treatment like by like a couple yeah. days the cats <laughs> oh, are gonna well. be fine <laughs> tats <laughs> As a veterinarian, I'm not yet recommending substituting your uh, flea and tick preventative with a. An oh opossum. my God! If people but. just like grab possums and like, <laughs> did you put on your flea and tick medication? Yes, I did, and they put a possum on their dog. <laughs> yes, just attach it. Yeah. Oh my God, that's a that is a great story. I love photo. That. That is awesome. I I really. If I ever get a tattoo of a possum in in honor of this podcast, it's going to be Tet looking in that cat bed. 
<laughs> yeah, curled up in the little cat bed, looking like he hit he the did. jackpot. Just a couple pissed off cats, also just for for ambiance. I need yeah. to like complete the sleeve. Yeah, around around that part of the tattoo. Yeah, it's a whole it's a whole it's, vignette. It's a it's a it's really. going to be a story. Right. Right. <laughs> oh well, well done, Melissa, on the animal stories. My God. Tip, we're at the end of the podcast. No. No, no, no. It's okay. We'll be back. Yay! Our music is by Jason <laughs> Shaw with additional music by Ableton Live. Thanks to Lindsay Wolko, Richard Dorer, and Heidi Bartrup. You can find more on our show notes or visit our website, totallypossumpod.com. And now all that's left is shameless self-promotion. Melissa, bring us all that you bling. I am a certified professional dog trainer outside of Boston, Massachusetts, the author of Considerations for the City Dog, host of Bewilder Beasts, another podcast for curious folks, but unlike this, it's totally safe for work and for all ages. You can find more about me, my projects, speaking engagements, classes, presentations, and more at melissamcubemcgrath.com. Now take it away, Sip. I'm a veterinarian who loves to work with exotic animals in and around Berkeley, California, the operator of Zuzu's Puddles Productions, and when I'm not treating iguanas, dragons, and parrots, you can find me figuring out what to name my sourdough starter. You know, I'm leaning toward Mike, but I need to see his personality before really making such a serious decision. <laughs> you can find more about me and about exotic pet care at drsipvet.com. That's D-R-S-I-P-V-E-T dot com. You can reach us both at totallypossumpod at gmail.com. You can send us your topic ideas or questions. Veterinarian and health issues should be addressed to Dr. Sip. Training and theory topics for Melissa. Or send us bizarre and silly animal stories, including those not ready for little Billy's grade school science textbook type subjects. Think more fish orgies or naturally occurring bifurcated penises. I mean, it doesn't have to be R-rated, but it helps. Thanks for listening. Hug your pets if you've got them. Unless you have a pet hedgehog, in which case I professionally advise against it. And respect those possums. Or as we say, stay possum. Stay possum. We did it!